kids. I, I can't believe they stayed silent. I thought they were going to be yelling, Mommy, Mommy, from the back. I think I would have. And um, what a wonderful ministry that is being done, too, by InterVarsity. In fact, I'm so proud of that. And Jackie, you're a great communicator. Thank you for saying a lot and not so a uh, bit of time. I could learn a lot from you in that area. And uh, I'll, I'll try to practice that this morning. So uh, let's go ahead and pray together. Thank you, Father, for, thank you for InterVarsity. Thank you for Jackie and Troy for the work that you've done in their lives. Uh, I know this church has had a long history in the Tisthammer family. Thank you that uh, third generation is now going forth full-time in your name with Jackie and they are planting ministries and making disciples and, and growing up uh, young people of faith over there at Sonoma State and Santa Rosa Junior College and now Mendocino College and Cal Maritime Academy and these other places you've allowed them to go into. Father, we pray for that growth of 30 people in their, their one chapter. We pray your blessing on that chapter that's reaching the sorority and the fraternity students. Father, we pray that many of them would turn to saving faith in Christ. And Lord, thank you for that open opportunity up at the Mendocino College with the athletes. And Lord, we pray together that those athletes uh, turn to you, turn away from whatever they were following before, however empty their lives were before. May they see you as you really are, Lord Jesus, and may they love you and embrace you and follow you all the days of their life. So bless that ministry. And now, Father, as we open up your word, we pray your blessing on this message as it goes out. Father, give me your servant. Give me clarity, passion, um, and conciseness as I share uh, what you have called me to share. And Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit come now in power and hover over this place and convict us and inspire us and challenge us uh, to live the kind of life that you have called us to live. Lord, we lift up these prayers to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, we are in a journey through 2 Corinthians this summer. The, the message series is called We Have This Treasure. It comes from chapter 4 where uh, Paul says that we have this treasure of the gospel, but it's in these common earthen vessels or in jars of clay as it has been described in 2 Corinthians 4. And uh, we're talking about uh, today chapter 2. We're going to be talking about two things mainly. Church discipline is going to be the first topic and the second uh, uh, topic is going to be, what is your fragrance? What is your aroma? What kind of whiff are you giving off in your life? And uh, we'll try to unpack that a little bit later as we continue in the message. Hey, I don't know uh, if you've ever been in a situation, maybe when you were a kid. I remember one time when uh, my mom was working full time and she had gone away and uh, she had left a, a nice little basket of strawberries in the refrigerator. And uh, I had uh, decided that they were delicious and I was going to eat the entire box of strawberries. And I ate them all myself. And I had no idea how much they cost. And my mom came home and she opened up the refrigerator and she said, where are the strawberries? And I said, um, I couldn't tell a lie. Uh, my brother ate them. Yeah, right. And, and uh, it wasn't him. It was me. Uh, but Jeff somehow got caught in the crossfire of this, my younger brother, even though he didn't eat the strawberries. And my mom was so angry, she said, that's it, you're grounded for the weekend. And he immediately threw up his arms and says, I didn't even eat the strawberries, what is this? This is so unfair, it is so unjust. 
Have you ever been in a situation that you thought was unjust, where maybe whatever infraction or whatever thing you did wrong, where the punishment just did not seem to fit the crime? There's a famous story uh, by Victor Hugo, uh, my favorite movie and actor uh, that does this rendition. His name is Liam Neeson. He plays Jean Valjean in the, in the famous book and now movie, Les Miserables. And in that uh, story, it starts off where Jean Valjean has recently been released from prison. The reason why he was in prison, does anybody remember the reason? What was his crime that he spent five years of hard, or he was sentenced to five years of hard labor for this heinous crime? Anybody remember what the crime was? He stole bread. He stole a loaf of bread from a bakery in order to feed his sister's starving children. That was his crime. And because of his crime, he was sentenced to five years hard labor, and then he tried to escape from prison, and he kept getting more years on his sentence, and I believe it was almost 20 years before he was finally released. And when he was released, he couldn't even hardly get a job because now he was a convict and he was a felon, and nobody trusted him or wanted to hire him. And so he had a, he had a very difficult life um, to start off with. Leslie, did you have a question? Yeah. 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 Yes. That's right. Thank you. That's good. Yeah. It, even if you do steal bread, it is good to tell the truth. It's good to confess your sin. And when you do that, you're likely to get a much lighter sentence. I wish that was the case for Jean Valjean. But it wasn't. The punishment in this case did not fit the crime. Well, we're going to see a situation here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 where there was a man uh, in the church. Apparently, he was causing problems in the church. He was, he was uh, usurping the authority of the Apostle Paul. He was challenging him and his rightful authority as an apostle of Christ and a leader of the church, the founding leader of the church. He was causing divisions and factions within the church body. And Paul had made this painful visit to Corinth to try to discipline this man and to correct this problem. And so we jump right in the middle of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 5. Now, I want to point out that you, there's two places in, your, in, your, uh, in the pews in front of you. We have two different kinds of Bibles. There, <laughs> it might sound strange to say two different kinds of Bibles. What do you mean? We have two different printings of the Holy Bible in the New International Version. In one version, 2 Corinthians 2 is found on page 1158. 1158, and on another version, it's found on page 804. I, the reason I had to do this was because I said 1158 in another service, and somebody came up and said, I've got this pew Bible here, and it's on page 804. So now I'm giving you both pages if you want to follow along in the Scripture. Or if you have a smartphone or tablet, uh, you can also follow along in that particular manner as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says this. And he's writing to the church. He says, if anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent. Not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. So here's what's going on in the church. Paul's talking about someone in the church. He had caused serious problems. 
He'd caused offense. He had disrupted the body life of the church family. And that problem must have happened sometime during one of Paul's visits to the church because Paul had to correct the problem and he had to be rather severe in his discipline. So we're going to be talking about church discipline today in the church. And, and here is a great example of it because Paul's saying this man needed to be corrected. This man needed to be called out for the sin of division, the sin of rebellion against God's rightful authority as leaders in the church. And he needed to be corrected for that. He needed the church discipline. Now, um, what does it mean to exercise church discipline? I mean, why do we even have this thing called church discipline? Can't we all just gather together and everybody love one another and we all get along? I mean, that would be ideally what would happen. But unfortunately, sometimes there, there are problems in the church. Sometimes people get out of line. Sometimes they misunderstand things. Sometimes they get offended by things and they start causing division. They grumble. They complain. They, 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 they just start doing something that is inappropriate. And when that happens, we need to exercise church discipline. Every church who, has, who names the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord Every church who holds the Holy Bible as our rule of faith and practice, that church has to have church discipline. Why is that? Because as Christians, God has called us to a higher standard of behavior. We're called to love one another, to encourage one another. We're called to pray for one another. And yes, we are also called to warn and to admonish one another. We are called to do in the church the same thing that the Word of God is supposed to do in our lives. Now, you read this up here, why do we have church discipline? Church discipline is needed from time to time to help wayward people see the errors of their ways and to turn back to God in repentance. So church discipline actually has the word disciple in it. You know, God disciplines us. God makes us His disciples. We are followers of Jesus, and He says, I want to make you a better follower of Jesus, and sometimes that means... I need to correct you on your bad behavior. We allow God to do that, and then we allow God through his church family, through the body of Christ, to do that as well. What does the scripture say about the purpose of the word of God in our lives? The most uh, famous, well-known passage is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And I want you to notice there are four activities that Paul mentions in the word of God when he quotes the scripture. In his letter to Timothy, Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed. In other words, all the Bible, all the words of God are inspired by God through the human authors, and it is useful. The word of God is useful for what kinds of things? The word of God is useful for teaching, for rebuking. Whoa, what? hey, what's that? I don't mind the teaching. I want to learn more about God. But what are you talking about? The word of God is useful for rebuking. The Word of God is useful for rebuking in, in that sometimes we are going down the wrong path. And God has to call us out and says, you're going the wrong way. You need to turn around and go the right way. The Word of God does that in our lives. So it is useful for teaching and rebuking, for correcting. The Word of God is like guardrails in our lives. We're trying to follow God. We're trying to uh, follow our Lord Jesus in the path that He has for us. And sometimes we don't stay on the straight and narrow, if we're being honest, right? We get, we turn to the left a little, we turn to the right, we get swayed by the various 
doctrines and philosophies that are out there in society, and we start straying from the right path, and the Word of God acts like guardrails. The church, the body of Christ, also acts like guardrails. So it is useful in the church. It's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting. And then he trains us in righteousness. For what purpose? Why does God's Word do all that in our lives? So that we, the men and women of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, God is building us up. God is using the Word. God is using church discipline to build us up, really, not to tear us down. And Paul is saying there's a problem in the church right now. First, there was a problem with this guy who was acting up. He was being rebellious. He was causing division. He was creating rebellion against God's authority in the church, and that needed to be corrected. But now that he repented, now that this guy turned around in faith and humility and says, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me, church, now that he's done that, you guys haven't done the right thing. You haven't done your part. He's asked you to forgive him, and you're saying, uh, I don't think so. He's asking to rejoin the church fellowship, and you're saying, no, you need to stay away. And that's not right for the church to do. So he goes back, and, and, and Paul tells the church, and he says back in there, he says, the punishment inflicted upon him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, instead of what? Of whatever you're doing before, you need to change your pattern, church. You ought to forgive and comfort him so that he won't be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. And then Paul goes on to say, the, another reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test, to see if you would be obedient in everything. So Paul says, I, I challenged you as a church when I was there in my visit with you. You needed to discipline this man who was wayward. You needed to correct him. You needed to exercise discipline. And now that you've done that, you need to welcome him back into the fellowship. He needs to return to the right standing in the church body so he won't be overcome by excessive sorrow. So church, you need to do your part too. And the test for the church was, would you exercise discipline? And then when the discipline had its right effect, would you now welcome this man into fellowship? Again, and the church at the time was not doing that. And Paul says, you need to welcome him back. You need to forgive. Um, there's a lot of times in church discipline where we make at least two mistakes when we exercise church discipline. The first one is sometimes we're too lenient. Sometimes we're like, ah, we just need to love each other. We just need to be gracious to each other. You know, let's don't make a big deal out of it. You know, this was, a, this was wrong behavior, but let's just not bring it up. Let's don't have a confrontation. It's going to be ugly. Let's don't try to call out the sin or the problem. Let's just sweep it under the rug and let it go. And uh, that could be a, like this wound or, or a boil that festers in the body life of the church because it wasn't, deal, it wasn't dealt with. So sometimes the church leaders are being too lenient. They're not correcting the mistake. And then on the other end, another mistake that the church makes is sometimes the church can be too harsh. Sometimes the church says, you know, you've created, you have made such a bad sin here that we're not going to forgive you and that we're not going to welcome you back. And even if you come to us on your hands and knees and grovel and you beg for forgiveness... We're not going to forgive you. Or if we say we forgive you, we're not, we're, we're, yeah, we forgive you, but we're not going to trust you again. We're not going to allow you to come back into the church body. And that's wrong too. So we can either be too lenient sometimes or we can be too harsh. Paul says, don't be either one of those. You've already corrected the mistake. Now welcome him and comfort him back into your church family. 
So Paul says, if, you, if, if what I've forgiven, so Paul's already forgiven this man who was, who was rebellious and wayward. He says, what I've forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. And then catch this, because here's an insight into spiritual warfare. Paul says in verse 11, in order that Satan might not outwit us, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We are not unaware of the evil strategies and the machinations of our enemy, Satan. The New Living Translation puts it this way. It says, you need to forgive this person in the sight of Christ. I've forgiven him. Now you need to forgive him so that Satan will not outwit us, so that Satan in the New Living Translation will not outsmart us, for we are very familiar with his evil schemes. In this particular case, what was the, the scheme of the, of the enemy? The scheme was Satan was trying to ruin this man through his rebellion through disfellowshipping him from the church body. He was trying to separate him from the life of the body of Christ. So Satan was trying to do that. And then Satan was also trying to cause this division in the church family because there were some probably who wanted to forgive him and welcome him back. And there were some that says, no, you need to reject him and push him away. And so Paul says, you need to forgive him so that Satan's schemes would not outwit the church. Anytime there is unforgiveness... Anytime there is an unwillingness to forgive someone, to cancel their, their debt when they've hurt you or offended you, if you are unwilling to forgive that person, then Satan will be right there to throw gasoline on the fire. He will be right there to try to ruin that relationship forever. And, and so to outwit Satan's evil schemes, church, we must be willing to forgive and we must also be willing to ask forgiveness from someone whom we have hurt. And when we do that, when we are quick to forgive and we are also quick to ask for forgiveness, we outwit Satan and his evil schemes. He can't get in there and cause division in that way because God in his Holy Spirit is always trying to create unity in the church. In fact, the Bible says God has made us unified as a church body and the command from God in Ephesians chapter 4 is it says, so then you church people... You make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. God has given us this unity in Christ already through the common banner of following Jesus. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father and all, who is over all and in all and through all. That's what God has given us in Christ. And he says, so you church people do not, uh, do not break that unity. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Don't let Satan outwit you. Don't let him cause division through unforgiveness in the church. So welcome this guy back. That's the first part. That was church discipline. The second part is now Paul in verse 12, he's changing direction. He's going back to his story because he's trying to find out from the Corinthians about how they have been handling his last painful visit. And, and he doesn't have news from them. He's writing them a letter to say, I need to find out how you guys are doing. And so he's going back to his travels and trying to find out from Titus who had visited the church, he says, I need to find out from Titus what's going on in the body life of the church. And so we go now to verse 12, and Paul says this, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I didn't find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them, and I went on to Macedonia. 
Friends, I'll be honest with you. I read this passage and I said, Paul, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? As if I'm going to second guess an apostle of Christ, right? You know, that's my prerogative as a, as a free-thinking individual, right? So I'm thinking, Paul, what were you thinking? You go to Troas and you say in your own words, I found that the Lord, not just there was an open door, that the Lord had opened a door for me there in a new city where, where according to the book of Acts, Paul hadn't been before. And so there's a new city. The Lord opens a door for me to preach the gospel. And Paul says, I can't stay here. I have no peace in my spirit. And you ask yourself the question, what was it that so compelled Paul to say, no, thank you, Troas. I'm not going to keep preaching the gospel here. Even though the Lord opened a door for me for the gospel, I can't stay here because I have no peace of mind. What was it that, had, that left Paul with no peace of mind? He said, I couldn't find my, my brother Titus. And, the re, and so we learned two things about Paul from that. First of all, Paul, Paul was a very loyal friend. Secondly, when Paul did ministry, he recognized, Paul knew that ministry is a team sport. It wasn't just the Apostle Paul. Oh, it's God and me and that's it. No, in the Apostle Paul, it was God, it was Paul, it was Paul and Timothy, it was Paul and Silas, it was Paul and Titus. Here, there's a whole letter in the New Testament written to a church leader from the Apostle Paul about doing ministry on the island of Crete, the letter to Titus. So now we have this man Titus, and Paul says, I couldn't find my brother Titus. And, and, and here's the other reason. Because if I found my brother Titus, I would also know that Titus had visited the Corinthians, you guys, and he would bring me news of what was going on in the church. And as a pastor, not just as a missionary, not just as an apostle, not just as an evangelist, you know, we always see Paul that way, hard charging, hard driving. I've got to preach Christ where he's never been preached before and regions beyond. I'm going to Spain. I'm going to Elycrium. I'm going to the far reaches of the Roman Empire because I have to preach the gospel there. But at the same time, Paul says, I can't even stay in Troas and preach the gospel unless I find out how my flock, how the people of God, how the dear Christian brothers and sisters in Corinth, if I don't find out how they're doing soon, I don't have any peace in my spirit. We learn a lot about God's heart through the Apostle Paul right here. That's why we say it's, God, it's his most personal letter to any of the churches. We learn that, God's, that Paul was so concerned for the Corinthians, he couldn't even stay in Troas. So he goes on, and, and then he takes a break because Paul knows the rest of the story, but he doesn't share the rest of the story with what happened with Titus, what happened in Troas, what happened when Paul left Troas to go to Macedonia. Paul doesn't share any of that stuff until all the way down to chapter 7. Paul takes what we call a sidebar. Paul takes what we call a divine rabbit trail. And for almost five chapters now, he just digresses from the story. And they're probably saying, what happened? Well, what happened with Titus? What happened in Macedonia? Did you find him? Did you get the news? What happened, Paul? Well, you got you to gotta wait four and a half chapters to get to the rest of the story because Paul breaks into this theo theological treatise. And I just want to say as a sidebar on that, I said, you know, it's very interesting that Paul used four chapters for a rabbit trail uh, to, to convey some really good information to the church. So I just want to defend that, that the person who goes on a rabbit trail, that, that could be a divine, a divine thing going on there. Does that sound defensive to say that? Maybe so. But, it, you know, okay. So, so now Paul stops from the story about Titus, and now there's a change in direction, a change in his letter. And one of the questions is, is have you ever been in a, 
Uh, no, I'm not going to go there because I've already answered that. So, so Paul is uh, now going to start uh, breaking away from the story about Titus. He's going to talk about Jesus. He's going to talk about the new covenant. He's going to talk about our place in the kingdom of Jesus Christ and our place in his family. And so Paul says, starts out in verse 14. He says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to go spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Paul takes a break from what happened and why he was writing them a letter instead of visiting them. And Paul allows God's Holy Spirit now to carry him into a new lengthy discussion uh, about what it means to follow Christ. And he's talking about this triumphal procession. He's talking about this victory parade that, where Jesus is at the head of, the, of a victory parade. And he says, God leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. God calls to mind something that was very, uh, very familiar to first century people. You know, the whole Mediterranean world was governed by the Roman Empire. In the Roman Empire, unfortunately, people didn't, uh, didn't willingly submit to follow the Roman Empire unless they were physically conquered by the Roman army. And so the Roman army, whenever it would go into new territory, it would take over. The Roman army fought whatever army was in the land. The Roman army was victorious, and they conquered. And what happened frequently was the Roman army, in victory then, would return back to Rome. They would have a big victory parade through the city, and there would be the Roman general on his chariot. There would be some of his soldiers. There would be these priests of all these pagan gods and religions, and they would be uh, coming up a, a, during the parade carrying these, these large jars of incense uh, that would be sweeping. The aroma of the incense from that parade would be sweeping through the crowd, sweeping all down the parade route. And then somewhere during the parade, there would be uh, a whole number of the defeated captives of the land of which the Roman army had just recently conquered. And so uh, that, that's what was happening. There's this pleasing aroma of Christ, and that's why Paul says this. So he's using that analogy. He's using that metaphor of the Roman army victory parade leading the captives, uh, not just the army uh, soldiers who were victorious in the battle, but also leading the people who were defeated. And it was a different kind of a smell. You know, the smell of the incense was the smell of victory to the Romans and to the army and to the general. Glory to Rome and all that stuff. But the same smell of that incense in the parade was not the smell of life and victory to the captives. To the captives, that, in, that same incense smell was the smell of death and defeat and doom for those who had to march along in that parade. And so Paul says, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved... And those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death. In other words, to those who are perishing, to those who refuse to believe the good news message about Christ, this, this aroma of Christ that we're carrying around with us, this is not the aroma of life. This is not a pleasing smell. For them, it is the smell of death. But to the other, to those who embrace the gospel, to the other, it is an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? So here's this victorious military parade. There's incense burned in honor of the gods, and there's this aroma cloud of incense all along the parade route. The smell of the incense would remind the Roman army, we were victorious, we conquered. But the same smell was a reminder of the captives that they were on their way to their own death. 
where they were on their way to an own lifetime of captivity in a foreign land. And I want to draw that analogy. And by the way, one of the questions is, you and I are carrying around this fragrance at all times. You and I, whether we're aware of it or not, we're carrying around an aroma at all times. Now, fortunately for you, this morning I got up and I took a shower and I got all cleaned up and I used soap and shampoo and I put on my speed stick, my favorite deodorant, and I came in here and, and, and before that I also, I also put a little dab of this on, a little spray of this. This is my favorite cologne. It's called Dracar Noir. This is the cologne that Lisa says she really likes, so I wear a lot of it. Uh, Dracar Noir, and it's uh, from Paris, so, you know, they don't know about fighting or armies, but they're really good at cologne and perfume. And uh, this is Eau de Toilette, but I ignore that one because that doesn't sound good. Um, and it's about $25 a bottle, and this is what I use. But when I, when I spray it and when I put it on, you know, my aroma becomes the aroma of Dracar Noir. And I go into a completely different persona. And it has an amazing effect on me and on those around me. And it's interesting, Paul says this. Paul says, when we remember that Jesus is victorious over sin and death, when we remember that he conquered our greatest enemy, Satan, he conquered our greatest enemy, death, which is, which is a result of sin and separation from God. When Jesus conquered all that and was victorious over that on the cross and when he was raised from the dead, it says Jesus is now leading a parade. And it's a victory parade. And Jesus invites each one of us who follow him in that victory parade. And in that victory parade, there is an aroma. There is a fragrance. And it's called the aroma of Christ. And he says that aroma of Christ in the victory parade, it's an aroma. It's a smell of life to those who are being saved, to those who embrace the message and believe it. But to those who are perishing, this same aroma is the aroma of death. So I just want to ask you, where are you today? What kind of aroma, as a believer in Christ, what kind of aroma, what kind of fragrance are you giving off? If someone gets close enough to you, gets close enough to get a whiff of you, what kind of aroma are they going to smell? What are they going to smell in your character? What are they going to smell in your attitude or your disposition? What is it they're going to smell? You know, I really hope that when people get near to me, they don't just smell the ugly cologne, the ugly aroma of, of my sin. I'd really hope that when they get close to me, they would be able to smell the aroma of my Jesus and my Jesus who's living in me and through me, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is love, is grace, that is undying faith, that the hope that I have for eternal life, that that's just coming through and people can't help but, but be aware of that kind of aroma and that kind of fragrance, that God's kingdom is coming and it is dispelling the darkness. And I get to march along with Jesus in that victory parade. And I hope people can smell that kind of good aroma. Um, Lisa, my wife, we were uh, on a Monday, we were in Healdsburg with my in-laws and we were in this shop outside the plaza. It was right around the plaza in Healdsburg. Beautiful plaza if you've never been there. Big trees, love it. Uh, right around there, there was one of these stores that was a co-op, and in the co-op store, it had all these international goods, right? They were made by people, fair trade people, uh, who were getting a fair wage for, for their goods and stuff. And Lisa was talking to the lady, and Lisa was very animated. Oh, this is from Indonesia? Oh, I've been in Indonesia. And the lady says, really? 
Oh, this is from Kenya. Oh, I've been to Kenya. Oh, this one comes from China. Oh, I went to Beijing one time. And, and Lisa's got a smile, and she's exuberant, as she always is. And the lady says, well, wh- how did you come to travel to all those places? And Lisa goes, zing. And he says, we was on, it was on these great mission trips that I took with my church, and we were able to share the love of Jesus with these people. And the lady goes, oh, you know, <laughs> like, like, oh. But what she did was she thanked Lisa, and she says, I'm just so glad you came into my store. And the lady says, you know, you got to interpret the language. But the lady says, I'm just so glad you brought all this positive energy into this place. And what I thought about, because I was studying this this week, was I said, Lisa, what she brought around was the pleasing aroma of Christ into that store. And it was noticed by somebody. And that aroma is the aroma of life to those who believe and are being saved. But that same aroma is also the aroma of death for those who do not believe. So let's go to our action points. Let's go to the four action points. These are something you can write down in your notes from the, from the bulletin or the program. The first one, just to remind us, what are we supposed to do with this message, right? Well, in the church, the, in the leadership, we are to do church discipline. But when we do church discipline, just like the Word of God says, it's for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. When we do church discipline, let's do it for building up people, not for tearing them down. Remember, the goal of discipline is to help a person get back on the right track, right? Not just condemning them for going down the wrong track. Number two, we are to do ministry by following the leader, not by taking the lead. You know, in that victory parade that I'm a part of, I'm not the one in the lead. Jesus is the one in the lead. He's the leader. I'm his follower. I am not to try to jump in there and say, hey, Jesus, give me that banner, you know, or whatever. I want to take over. I, I don't have the right to do that. I am his, his servant. I am his follower. Jesus takes the lead. I'm to follow the leader in his victory parade. Number three, always, as you can, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Another way of saying that is always give off the fragrance of Jesus Christ, the fragrance of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Always give off the fragrance of Jesus. Depending on the listener, you could be giving off the smell of life or depending on the listener and the way that they go, the way they respond to the message, you could be giving off the smell of death. So what is, what is your fragrance today? What is your fragrance going to be this coming week? And then number four, communicate the good news with sincerity, not for money. Paul says in the last verse of this chapter, verse 17, Paul says something like, hey, I am out there sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, but I'm not peddling the gospel for money. I'm speaking in front of God. I'm speaking in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus. Paul wasn't some religious huckster. Paul wasn't, you know, having the trench coat in the, in the, on the street saying, hey, you want to buy a watch, a Rolex, you know, you you know, like you, like you see those things, like, no, that thing's a fake, it's a cheap, and I don't want any part of it. Paul says, I'm not, I'm not a huckster for religion. I am sharing the very words of life, and I'm doing it in front of God and in the presence of Christ Jesus. So we're communicating the good news with sincerity, not, not for some financial gain. So what about you today? When you hear this message Where do you see yourself today in your own spiritual walk? Where are you in your faith journey with Jesus? When you hear the good news message about Jesus, that God so loved the world, that he sent Jesus to us all, 
when you hear the message that God wants us to know Him, that God wants us to have a relationship with Him personally as our Savior, as our Lord, as our forgiver and leader, as our Heavenly Father, when you understand that in Jesus your sins that have separated you from your holy creator, that those sins were atoned for by Jesus on the cross, that Jesus has made a way for you to come into God's family. When you hear this message, how do you respond? How does that aroma of Christ affect you? Is it, is it the smell of life to you? Or are you going to reject it? Are you going to turn away from it? Are you going to say, no, thank you, I don't want any part of that. I'll just try to make it to God on my own somehow. If that's your attitude, then that same smell that could be the smell of life to you could end up being the smell of death. When you hear all this, how do you respond to the message? Are you going to accept Jesus' offer to forgive you if you humble yourself, if you ask him to? If you say yes to following Jesus, that aroma, the promise of God is if you say yes to Jesus, that aroma of Christ for you can be the aroma of life. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you that um, you didn't just die on a cross, Lord, that you were victorious over death, that you came out of the grave alive on the third day, and now you're reigning forever, and you have all authority in heaven and earth. Lord, I thank you for that victory. You are the one victoriously ruling over heaven and earth. Lord, today... Today I come to you humbly. I ask you to forgive me of all the wrong things that I've said and done. All my sins, Lord, please forgive me. Today I choose to follow you. Today I put my faith and my trust in you to be my forgiver of all my sins, to be my leader, the one that I follow. And I choose to follow you today. Lord Jesus, I love you, and the reason I do is because I know that you loved me first, and you came and you gave your life for me, and so I choose to follow you today. Lord, help me to learn what it means to follow in your path. Help me to learn from this church and from these people who have followed you for a long time what it means to follow you. Bless me today, and I thank you for that promise of eternal life. I thank you that for me now, that aroma of Christ, it's the aroma of life because I believe it and I trust in you. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, whether you're here live or you're listening online via live stream, if you prayed that prayer, I want to say to you, congratulations. Worship team, why don't you guys come on up? We're going to close in a song. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, the Bible says this, that by faith in Jesus, by believing in him, the Bible says you actually, in the spiritual realm, you crossed over from death to life. You're now in God's family. You belong to him forever. He has given you his Holy Spirit. You have the forgiveness of your sins. What a great promise. What a great privilege that we have for believing in and following in Jesus. And we want to help you keep moving forward on your faith journey. We have some resources that are in the back that will help you as a new believer. We can get you connected. I'd love to meet you in the back, in the entrance area, in the lobby, right after the church service is over. For right now, church, we're all going to stand together. We're going to sing a closing chorus of a great spiritual hymn. One, two, three, four.
your love, Lord. Because of your love, we're forgiven. Because of your love, our hearts are clean. Because of your love. Let's sing it again. Because of your love.